Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. Boy, do we need him to hear us. Amen. There are so many challenges that people think leave you nor forsake you. And for the child of God, that's a pretty strong word. So, Father, this morning, you know the need and you know the heart and you know the challenge that so many are facing today and questions, sometimes questions that we just do not have answers for, may not even find an answer here. But, Father, we have one thing that we have confidence in. You care. You're there with each one of us. You're going to walk us through these dark moments. You're going to be that comfort when there seems to be nothing else that we can rely upon. We thank you for your spirit and your presence. We thank you for your grace. I pray, Father, this morning that you would just simply surround every individual in this room whether it be the loss of someone that's dear to them or whether it be physical challenges or just the stuff of life that just grabs hold of us. Lord, we need you today. We need your help today. We need your blessing today. And we call on you for that in Jesus' name. We ask that you would meet each one here right now significantly, purposefully, and personally. And we'll thank you, Father, for it in Jesus precious name and everybody can say amen Amen. how many of you love Jesus this morning amen Amen. you may be seated how many of you kind of like the person next to you well I, I hope that works this morning we're delighted that you're all here uh I'm pastor Edwards for those of you that may be new with us we're delighted that you've joined us And uh, we look forward to getting better acquainted. We're going to ask the Lord's blessing on our giving this morning as we bring the Lord's tithes and our gifts before the Lord. And while we're doing this, I'm going to let our kids find their way to kids' church this morning. And uh, there's Pastor Lauren back there. She's going to make sure they all get to where they belong. Uh, Next week, we have... We're going to be dedicating these children. And I understand there's eight, perhaps more... You know, they said that the Fertile Crescent was in the Middle East. I don't think so. I think, I think we're right in the midst of it, and I'm thrilled about that. Love all these kids, and so we're looking forward to next Sunday. It's going to be a great morning, and uh, encourage you to join us and be here to celebrate that great time together. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as our ushers come as we receive these gifts this morning together. Father, what a delight it is to be here in your house. And We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the goodness that you've given to us, for for just the simple daily bread that you bring into our lives. Father, we're we're blessed, and we thank you for that. Pray your blessing over both those that would give and their giving together. Pray that you would bless each one today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I made a very quick trip to... Santa Barbara this week and down in the Ventura area to see my mother. And I'm glad to report that she's just as ornery as ever. And uh, I needed to see mom. I don't get, it's too far away. I can't just go over and see her. And, uh, you know, it's pretty cool to have a mom when you're 70. Amen. And I'm very grateful that I still have my mama. And she is my mama. Uh, You know, I heard about a young guy that was just finishing up his academy at, at for police academy, and he'd come to his first assignment, and the sergeant said, what would you do if you had to arrest your mother? And he said, I'd call for backup. (laughs) I think I can kind of (laughs) relate. Amen. We've been in this series, uh, and we're going to continue this morning on this series, A New Year, A New You. And uh, this morning, I just want to talk to you about the blessings that Jesus brings. Uh, and let me give you a little backstory as to this message this morning. <clears throat> as I was reading out of one of the writings of Paul and church, it's the 
in 2 Corinthians, I came across a passage, and there's a statement there that, quite frankly, it troubled me because I, I think I've seen this in reality today. Uh, Paul says, but I am afraid. And, and it wasn't just being afraid. He was concerned. It was, I have a concern is a, maybe a better way of saying that. That just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you received a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. Now think about this. He says, I am afraid, I am fearful that you put up with it and are easily, easily enough. That you put up with another Jesus. I, uh, I'm, I'm troubled by that concept of another Jesus. Because you see, the real Jesus told us who he was and what he does. And when I look at what the real Jesus tells us in contrast to what some people are saying Jesus does today, we're not talking about the same Jesus. I want to go back and look at what Jesus said about himself. Because I fear a different Jesus is being preached in many churches today. And I'm not here to criticize churches. All of a sudden, I got real loud. Did, did, did you hear that? I, I don't understand how that happened. And, uh, uh, but, but, but maybe that'll, they'll figure it all out. Uh, Terry, I think I got a noise thing going here. So he's trying to figure me out. Uh, I'm concerned because I think there's a Jesus that is fire insurance against hell, but doesn't change lives. I'm concerned because there's a Jesus that can't help me according to what I'm hearing being preached in some places today. So my question is, I want the real Jesus to stand firm and stand up. If you go back to the book of Luke, Jesus teaches us who he was and what he came to do. It says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In the synagogue in Jesus' day, as it is in any synagogue anywhere in the world today, there is a chair that's seated. Placed in that synagogue, and that chair is empty, and it's reserved for Messiah, HaMashiach. It's reserved for the Messiah. When Jesus came into the city, this was the city that he was raised in. This is the city that Mary and Joseph lived in and that Jesus took up the trade of his earthly father and followed in that custom. The people in that synagogue knew Jesus because this was his, this was his habit of being in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And on this particular day, he comes in and he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to share and unfold this scripture. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. It is a messianic prophecy. It is one of the most known prophecies concerning Messiah. And when he finished reading it, he 
went to the chair reserved for Messiah, and he sat down. And he said to them, today, in your hearing, this passage has been fulfilled. In essence, he was saying, I am the Messiah. Well, that went over not real well. Because there's a fellow out here looking at Jesus and saying, didn't you just fix my back porch? And another one says, you took care of the table that was leaning in my house. And now you're describing yourself as Messiah. And if you read through the rest of that chapter, you're going to find that they were not real pleased with Jesus. And they took him out to the edge of the city and they were going to throw him off of a high spot, a high precipice. And I love the way it says it, and Jesus just walked through the midst of them. I, I just love that passage. When you look at this passage of Scripture, you find five foundational ministries of Jesus. These are ministries that he assumed because they were spoken of him and about him before he was birthed here, though how many of you know Jesus has always been? Jesus' name on earth is Yeshua HaMashiach. Before he came to this earth, his name was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's always been. And so, in the Word, we have the description of the ministries that Jesus came to do. And may I be honest with you, he, he didn't just come to fulfill something, he came to accomplish something. Culture may change, but Jesus doesn't. Some of you are my age, maybe a bit older. And you have seen the change of paradigms within our culture. You've seen the shifts of the culture. But Jesus has not changed. And, and I'm not going to get into all of the, the, the social construct of that other than to say that Jesus Christ is the same today as he was when he went to this temple in, or to the synagogue in Nazareth. And he will be the same tomorrow as he's always been. And what he came to do then, he has come to do now. I was raised in a wonderful church. But quite candidly, I think they preached another Jesus. I was raised in a church that believed in Jesus and that Jesus was my Savior. But Jesus no longer did the miraculous. Jesus no longer delivered, no, nor did he heal, nor does he ever enter into the very change of life in, men's pe in people's lives. All of that ended with the apostles. But that's not what Jesus said. And I'd rather listen to what Jesus said than the think tanks of people around me. Can you say amen to that? I had an interesting flight back from Santa Barbara, and seated next to me was a brilliant young mind. I mean, really, really intelligent young man. And uh, I had a very interesting con conversation with him, and it didn't take me too long to realize that he knew everything. <laughs> and uh, just a brilliant young mind. But if, and I'm, I'm serious. He's very, very intelligent, but also very malleable to impressions of people without having really thought through process. Tonight we have Genesis. And uh, I, I guess I get to be the preacher tonight. And so I've got a message for that. And I'll, I'll tell you that message. Can I ask you a question? Were there Christians before there was a New Testament? Then what did they believe? They believed in an event that was so epic, they were willing to be martyred for it. You come out tonight and I'll tell you more. What did Jesus do? He said, I have come. Now listen to verse 18. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The word gospel means good news. Amen? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year is all about salvation. 2 Corinthians says it this way. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's not just that you can accept him. Here's the good news. He's accepted you. I don't know about you, but that's really good news. I mean, that'd make Pharaoh's mummy shout, amen, and you're just sitting there. Come on, think about this. That's good news, not only that you've accepted him, but that he is willing to accept you and me. Hallelujah. He's simply saying, what I'm going to do for you is wonderful. Now you can be accepted. It, it's, it says he's going to preach the gospel or good news to the poor. And, and that's interesting because, as you know, I'm somewhat of a nerd when it comes to words. And I love the original language. And there's two words in the Greek that, that is used for the term poor. Uh, one is the word panes. It simply means that a person, it's the working poor. It's the guy that's paycheck to paycheck. He's just making enough to make it happen. How many of you would find yourself in that role? You know, if you're on a fixed income, you're there. But, but it's, it's this simply enough, just barely enough. You work hard, barely enough. But that's not the word he uses here. He uses a word that is, the Greek word would be toxis. It's simply put, it's, it's the individual that is unable to work, incapable of work, not, not physically able to work. And there is no other means but them hoping that somebody will be merciful to them. It's the person that cloaks themselves in a shadowed place with a cup in front of them, hoping and praying that someone will come by and have enough mercy to put just something in that cup, enough for them to have just another bite to eat. And without their mercy, there is no hope. That's the poor Jesus is speaking about. And by the way, my friends, that's us. Sitting in that dark spot, hoping that there would be something of mercy given to us. He's telling us, you cannot work for one day's salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't perform enough. You are not capable of doing it yourself. You are that beggar with a tin cup, hoping for the mercy of somebody bigger and stronger and greater that will have compassion on you to allow you to have one day of life. This is whom he's speaking of. His first ministry is to save us when we can't save ourselves. Glory to God. What a Savior. I could end the message right there. But I'm not going to. <laughs> the second thing he says is speaking about inner healing. Salvation, number one, first thing, most important thing. But equal to it in many ways is, is inner healing. It goes on and says in, in verse 18, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted and then on down to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The, the Greek form there for brokenhearted is suntabo cardias. Two words. Cardia, we understand. Cardiac. We get the word from it. It means you got a heart issue. Suntabo is, is a unique word. It doesn't mean just simply to break, but it's like taking a porcelain dish and slamming it on a concrete slab and watching it literally explode in shards, irreparable and irretrievable. 
How many of you have ever had a broken heart? If you can make fog on a mirror, if you have a pulse, if you're alive, if you're in this room somewhere, some way, somehow, you've had your heart broken. You've had a disappointment. You've had a setback. You've had somebody that hurt you and deeply grieved you and broke your spirit. He came to heal those whose seats of emotion have been shattered. Their spiritual heart has been, been torn apart. They sense of hopelessness, a sense of helplessness, a sense of betrayal. Jesus came to restore and heal them. That's the good news. It's not good advice. That's good news. Did you hear that? It's not the fact that God wants to heal the brokenhearted. Isn't, that's not just a nice statement. That's good news. If you have a broken heart, he's here to heal you today. You don't have to wait for heaven to have a whole heart again. How many of you have ever lost a family member? And you were heartbroken. And it took time. And you physically felt that. You physically felt the pain of loss. It, it, it affected you emotionally. It affected you physically. You, you found yourself lethargic. You found yourself weary. I, I found this over and again. People going through the cross, crises of, of bereavement. Count how many times in an hour they sigh. It's all part of the physical complexion of this human frame. And Jesus said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I remember when my father passed, and it was such a sudden, shocking thing. He was 59. And it, it just took the wind out of our room, out of our lives. I found out about it while I was preaching. On a Sunday morning. And God brought great grace to me. But in the moments that would follow. I found great pain. But I also found the one that could heal it. And I'm so grateful that he, he is the one that can heal the broken hearted. It's, it's, it's a powerful thing. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. The old King James uses... Little, little different word, to set at liberty those who have been bruised. A bruise is not something that's always visible on the outside, like a laceration or a major wound. A bruise is inward. It's something that's subdural. It's inside the skin. But a bruise can hold us in bondage. A bruised heart can hold us back. A bruised heart can keep us from the destiny that Jesus has for our lives. And we can nurture that bruise. And we can keep that bruise alive. Or we can say, Jesus, I have to be healed. And he heals the broken heart. And he mends the bruised spirit. This is the Jesus that I serve. He also comes to give freedom. It says to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. You can be a Christian and still be in bondage. We had a fellow in one of our churches. His name was Philip. How do I describe Philip? How many of you remember Grizzly Adams? He was about six foot and then some big beard. and He wasn't fat, but he was just big. He could play, he could play, for, he could play middle linebacker for any NFL team. I mean, the guy was just, he was just stout. He was just about 40 years old and He'd never married. I asked him one day, I said, Philip, why, why haven't you married? I said, you've got a great job, a wonderful personality. You're a good-looking guy, big. 
good-looking guy. I said, why, why haven't you married? And he just kind of bowed his head, and he says, Pastor, I have a horrible, horrible anger problem. He said, I put people in the hospital. He said, I have an almost uncontrollable rage that comes over me. He says, I've never wanted to bring another person into my life that I might hurt because of rage. Came into my office one day, we were talking, and I said, you know, Philip, I think this goes back to perhaps your dad. And he started to cry. He says, I had an uncle who was really mean. You know, we raised cattle, and he says, I was out working the cattle, and my uncle was out there, and he had a cattle prod, and he thought it was a real fun thing to zap me with that thing. And he chased me all over the field with it. And he says, I cried. And my dad and my uncle made fun of me for crying. And every time he would get in a fight, what he was doing was beating up his dad and his uncle. He had a broken heart. He had a bruised spirit. He was in bondage. I said, we're going to take authority over that in the name of Jesus. You see, church, I believe that my Jesus is still alive, and my Jesus is the God that can deliver, and my Jesus is the one that told Peter, Peter, whom do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus looked at him and said, Simon Barjonas, flesh and blood hath not told this or revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that the very, I'm going to build my church on this foundation, and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm going to take authority beyond that and tell you that what you lose on earth, I'm going to lose in heaven, and what you bind on earth, I'm going to bind in heaven. And I'm going to tell you, church, we have authority because my Jesus didn't die and stay in a tomb, but he came out of it, and he's alive right now. We took authority over that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> a couple years later, he come into my office. He said, Pastor... I want to meet I want you to meet somebody and he had this cute little girl. And if you don't think they look like the odd couple, she was about four foot and nothing and he was six foot and something. He was big and she was tiny. She'd been widowed, she had a little boy. <laughs> and he said, Jesus brought her into my life. Would you marry him? Marry me? And I said, sure, and I'm not a bigamist. I married them. I didn't marry them. Some of you will catch that tomorrow. But they got married, and it was wonderful. And subsequent to that, they've had two little kids. God took his rage. God set him free. You see, when we can be a Christian, and we can still be controlled by, by a spirit, that wants to destroy us, wants to destroy relationships, wants to destroy our lives. But I've got news for the devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Can you say amen to that? Amen. This is the word of God. This is not just the word of God. This is what Jesus does. But he doesn't stop there. And it says, and recovery of sight to the blind. He brings healing. A few weeks back, I preached a message on, on does God still heal? And yes, I believe he does. I, I, he, he created within this very framework, this marvelous mechanism called our body, our human being. He created within that the scope of healing. It, you have platelets, and if you cut yourself, they will form a clot, and you won't bleed out. That, that's part of healing. We, we can be recovered from certain sicknesses and illnesses because God has put within us the, the capacity to develop antibodies towards those things and bring healing. Beyond that, he's given to incredible people and minds the capacity to come up with medical research and dynamics of, of healing processes. 
thank God for that. That's all part of the healing process. How many of you have ever been through major surgery? Aren't you glad you had somebody knowing what they were doing? Aren't you glad you didn't have me doing it? Amen. That's part of it. Jesus in the 12, one of them was a physician. I thank God for that. But there's something beyond that. God can not only bring healing because of the nature of our creation, he can bring healing through medical research and people, and I thank God for that, but he can also do the miraculous. Last time I had a checkup, I talked with, asked my doctor, I said, have you ever seen people who there is no explanation of why they were healed? Oh, he says, I see it all the time. And he says, and I bet you can tell me why. <laughs> He's still alive. He still does the miraculous. Amen. Listen to this. Matthew 8 says, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore, say that with me, and bore our sicknesses. Now, does the Bible tell us that Jesus bore our sicknesses? I just read it to you. Where you been? And he bore, it's on, see it's right there, underscore, bore. Say it with me. He bore our sickness. It does say that, doesn't it? All right? I just wanted you to be, somebody asked me if I was going to preach on the word this morning, and I'm trying to preach on the word this morning. He bore our sicknesses. Now, now follow this. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, who himself bore, say that word with me, bore our sins. In his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Why is it that we can believe that he bore our sins, but we struggle with him bearing our sicknesses? Which is easier? There was a fellow in Luke 5. Interesting story. Guy's sick. He's infirmed. He can't do anything. He's, he's crippled. He can't move around. can't do anything. But he's got four friends that heard that Jesus was nearby and that if they could get him to Jesus, he would be healed. And so they bring him on a cot and they come running up there and there's such a move of, or crowd of people. They can't get in. They, they, the doorway is plugged. They, there's no way to get this man and this cot in this mess. So one of them shinnies up on the roof and gets the other one up there and brings the other two up there and somehow they lug this guy all the way up on this roof and they tore up the house. They tore the roof. I would be ticked. But they opened up the roof. I just see this. I just see this. All of a sudden, you're, Jesus is preaching and all of a sudden dust and straws just kind of there's daylight, and all of a sudden, here comes this body on this cot. Can you see that? It just amazes me. And when the litter is finally on the ground, Jesus looks at the man and said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, the religious righteous had their knickers in a knot over the fact that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. How dare you? Only God can say your sins are forgiven. And Jesus said, what is harder to say thy sins are forgiven or take up thy bed and walk? At which the man took up his bed and walked. You see, God can heal. He can save. If God can save, he can heal. Come on, church. Get alive with this thing. He's not limited. Praise the Lord. I love that. 
I'm asking you this question. Is it easier for Jesus simply to heal me or forgive me my sins? Or is he capable of healing my body? I am saved, listen to this, by grace. Say that with me. I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not through faith by grace. It's not through grace by faith. You know, sometimes he's rented lips. <laughs> You're saved by grace through faith. You're healed by grace through faith. He bore my sins. He bore my sickness. That's enough to shout praise the Lord right there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said, I came to preach the good news to those that couldn't do it themselves. I came to bring healing to broken hearts, so wounded and shattered you can't survive. I came to bring liberty to those that are so bound you don't know which way is up. I came to bring healing to sick bodies. I came to do this because this is my gift to you. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus anoints us with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be talking more about who this Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in our lives. Don't relegate the Holy Spirit as a thing or an it or a phenomena or a gift. The Holy Spirit has a name. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is equally God as Jesus is God and is as the Father is God. I was raised in a church, it was the Father, Son, and the other guy. Anybody here raised that way? We, 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 don't want to, we don't want to mess with that because, I mean, who knows? You might, you just never know. I've got good news for you. He has only the best interest for you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. The Holy Spirit is upon me because He has anointed me. In the book of Acts, it says, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He gives to us both exousias and dunamis, both power and authority. I love that. I have the authority. You know, there was a time when Michael was challenged to rebuke the enemy, rebuke Satan. And his simple words were, the Lord rebuke you. What he's saying is, he in himself didn't. You in yourself do not have the authority. In your flesh, in you yourself, you do not have authority over the enemy. But the Jesus in you is greater than the enemy outside of you. And you have been given his authority to take authority over all of those things that come against you. That's good news. That's wonderful news. And he's given to you power and authority. I, I just, it's so powerful. John, the Baptist, writes in John chapter 1, I did not know him. He's speaking of Jesus. It was his second cousin. He, he'd heard about him, but he didn't know him. They weren't raised in the same area. They weren't raised together. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes or anoints with the Holy Spirit. The word baptizo is the word that we use for baptize. Sounds 
reasonable, doesn't it? But it comes from the concept of taking linen cloth and putting it into dye. You immerse that linen cloth into dye. You baptize that lin linen cloth into that water, into that substance, and it infuses, it envelops, it over over overwhelms. It is wonderful. And it comes out different than when it went in. When we have a baptismal service, we, we don't baptize people that have not made a confession of faith. Because if I baptize a sinner, all I'm doing is making a sinner wet. We don't baptize babies. It just ticks them off when you throw water in their face. <laughs> Baptism is a volitional act of your will. It is a statement of your testimony. It is a statement that I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I'm not ashamed to declare that. And, and, and I believe that there is something that happens in that baptismal moment when we immerse that person and bring them back. Paul says that we, we, we die in one sense. And what do you do with dead people? You bury them. You keep them underwater long enough and we will. And I've never had that problem. We bring them back up because it speaks of resurrection to a new life. And Jesus comes to baptize us with his spirit. He comes to anoint us, to resurrect us to new life. Aren't you glad for Jesus? This is the real Jesus. Not a Jesus that's limited in scope to the fact that he can save you because he went to the cross and died. But he can save you. He can heal inner wounds and hurts. He can free you from all of the stuff that life throws at you and the bondages the enemy wants to keep you entruncated in. He can heal you physically. Hallelujah. And he can anoint you with his spirit that you have authority and power in this world. When we come to this communion this morning, these are the gifts that Jesus offers us. Oh, that's, I'll give you 10 seconds to give him un, unhinged praise this morning. Amen. The reason that I bring this to you in this point is I, I have, I've officiated at way too many funerals. Well over 1,500. 26 of those funerals were suicides. 21 of those suicides were Vietnam veterans. I don't know what happened in Vietnam. I, I don't know what happens in any war. But these men and women come back from those places and traumatized by what they saw and experienced. And sometimes I think they came back captive of spirits that literally were placed upon their lives. I had a young lady that worked for worked for us in our daycare and her husband, one of the sweetest guys, loved the Lord. God had done such a great work in his life, but traumatized by the experience of Vietnam. Went through hell and torment like so many of these veterans have done. He didn't go to my church. He went to another church. And they believed in salvation. And God had done a work in his life. It was wonderful. But being tormented by all of these things, he shared with his wife, I've got to have, I can't live this way. I just, I just can't live this way. 
And she says, you need to talk to pastor. Made an appointment, went to his pastor, came home. She said, what did he tell you? He said, Jesus can't help you. You see, when you don't believe that Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow, and when you don't believe that Jesus is still the healer and the savior and the baptizer and the spirit, you're saying it's hopeless. I'll never forget the night I was, our, our nursery, our, our daycare was attached to our building. It's a beautiful facility. And I was in the breezeway, and he come driving by, walking, or not driving, but he rode a bicycle to work, work for the city. Stopped to see his wife, and I talked with him, chatted with him a little bit, went home. Forty minutes later, I get a phone call. He killed himself. Because, you see, somebody had given him the erroneous teaching that Jesus couldn't help him. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the Jesus that I know and the Jesus I serve is still God Almighty. And he's still capable. And he's still able. And he can still deliver. And he can still help. It put me on a journey. The next 4th of July, we celebrated, we did a, a Celebrate America, and it was, it was huge. It was wonderful. I had, I had sex, House of Representatives there, people there, governmental leaders there. It was, a, it was amazing. And we honored the Vietnam veteran. And we brought into that moment, we brought in people that knew how to help walk with these veterans and help counsel them and, and give them guidance and deliverance from these horrible spiritual demons that want to control and kill and hurt. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget as long as I live. We were sharing what God had done, what God could do, and what he wanted to do, and we were celebrating our country, and we were, it was festive, it was wonderful, and we were singing all of the, 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 the anthems of all of the military service, and as we brought each of those, I asked, I said, I want every one of you that served in the army when your anthem is played, and if you served in the Marines, your anthem is played, and you served in the Coast Guard, your anthem is played, and you served in the Air Force, and, and, and uh, what did I forget? And the Navy anchors. <laughs> if you've served in any of these, when your anthem is, sir, is played, I want you to stand. And when they did, the place erupted. It erupted with applause. I remember a young man came up at the end of the service, his little wife and two little kids, and they, they were just, they were spellbound looking at their husband and looking at their dad. He had never told them he served in the military. Because this country was such an abysmal, shameful, ungrateful nation when these kids came home from war. Many of you guys know what I'm talking about. I had to go to McCord Air Base as a chaplain with the Swedish hospital in, in Seattle to pick up as these corpsmen would come and bring these horribly mutilated and wounded young men my age. And we go through the gates and these protesters broke my heart. And as I watched this young man come down the aisle with his wife and kids, and they're looking at him in awe, he said, I have never told them. And today was the first time I was ever thanked for serving. And I've made it a practice that I want to celebrate every service person because they deserve our respect and our love. That's what we can do. 
But I've got good news. I know what he can do. Amen? I'm going to ask our ushers to come. As we receive the Lord's communion this morning, we're receiving the blessings and the benefits of why he came. Salvation, inner healing, freedom and deliverance, healing physically, and power and authority in the name of Jesus. When Jesus was betrayed, Paul says, the night in which he was betrayed, says after supper he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this, this is my body broken for you. This is my gift for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant. It's a new relationship that I bring to you. It's a new commitment that I bring to you. What a gift. We're blessed. Amen. Amen. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and utter how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous! And my song shall ever be How wonderful, how wonderful Is my Savior's love for me He took my sins and my sorrows He made them very old. He bore the burden to Calvary, suffered and died alone. Sing it. How marvelous is my song shall morning as we come to this moment he has gifts for us we're going to receive communion I'm going to bless you and then I'm going to ask for those that are part of our prayer corps here to come you don't have to be a prophet to understand that in a room filled with people. There are people that have challenges with any one of those areas that Jesus came to bring help in. Maybe we've never come to him. Maybe we have been estranged from him. Maybe we're just not where we should be with him. Maybe there's a broken part of our life so wounded that we've never really been able to talk about it, but it, it's gripped us. It holds us back. Jesus doesn't want that for you. He wants to bring wholeness and healing. Maybe there's an area of bondage that you just can't get over like Philip, who just needed Jesus to bring healing in that area of rage and bring and restore his peace into his life. Maybe it's physical healing. 
Maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit that just is so lacking in your life. He's here this morning, and he's here to give good gifts to his kids. And we're going to receive these elements together this morning. We're going to thank him for what he has done. And then at the end, we're going to bless you. And if you have to leave, we understand. But if you need prayer, we're going to be here to pray with you today. Amen. The bread is in the bottom cup for you to know. I was just thinking as Pastor was preaching about the broken body of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body that is broken for you. And uh, one time when Jesus had, Jesus had resurrected, he was walking with some men, and he stopped, and they broke bread together. And their exclamation was, when he broke the bread, then they knew him. So we know him in the breaking of bread. And we know the real Jesus. Jesus, who is our Savior, our Healer, our Deliverer, our soon-coming King. He's all of that and more. So as we receive this bread, let's do it in remembrance of Christ, what He has done. In Jesus' name, Lord, we bless the bread as Jesus did, the bread that represents His broken body, and we receive it by grace through faith. Amen. Has anyone spilled something on a rug before? Just me? Um, it's amazing how stains in our lives, too, can, can become so ingrained. And then they kind of just become part of the conversation piece of our life. You know, maybe it's a stain you couldn't get out of your rug. And you kind of try to arrange your furniture or your house a certain way to where that part, maybe it's covered by the ottoman or, or something along those lines. But... I think some of us in this place can sometimes do that with our lives, can maybe by shame or mistakes that we've made, just try to rearrange the furniture of our lives to cover that. But one of the most, the most potent substance in all of creation was the blood of Jesus, not just in the physical form, but what it represent, what it represents is that we are clean that we don't have to, to wonder about that. In fact, as Paul is reminding the church, every time you come together and you say this, we proclaim that his death, we proclaim his death. Why do we proclaim his death? To remember that the price has been paid. Why do we proclaim his death? To proclaim to our enemy that that price has been paid by our king. And so as we take this and, and as we break the bread of kind of community in this place, May we remember that there's no stain, there's no sin, there's no guilt that his blood cannot cover. And yes, that my life was, was very messy. My sins like scarlet, but by his blood have been made white as snow. So let's celebrate that this morning. Let's not live in a place of condemnation or shame or, or, or trying to just keep appearances up, but let's approach his throne with with boldness to receive grace. Amen, just as Hebrews says. Jesus, we thank you. We're so thankful to be loved by you, God, to be pursued by you, to be chosen and accepted by you, that you have chosen us. God, that the sacrifice that you made, you made once for all. And so, God, we live underneath that banner of celebration. God, we refuse to cover our sins because we cannot. But we expose them and say, Jesus, we need healing for a new day. We need forgiveness for a new day. And we celebrate that beauty in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's take the cup together as we stand this morning, church. His grace cover you. His love overwhelm you. His blessings surround you. 
his comfort secure you and all of his mercy enfold you. May he bless you and keep you, be gracious to you, grant you his peace and help you understand how much he loves you. In Jesus' name. And everybody can say amen. Amen. Those of you that will join me for prayer, would you come? And if you need prayer, will you come? May God bless you.